welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello and welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited for this podcast episode, connecting with two women that I got connected with through social media, through DJ or David Jacobson, and I had the opportunity of being a guest on their podcast. And now I get to have Rachel and Janelle from the True North Collective on Creating Ripples, and they both are just really inspiring women that I've had the opportunity since being their guest to follow a little bit and learn more about each of them. And I'm really looking forward to for you as the listeners to get to know them as well. So Rachel and Janelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, hello. So I don't know who wants to kick it off and kind of share a little bit about who you are and kind of that creation of the True North Collective. I I think that's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Janelle. (laughs) Sure. Um, So a little bit about me. Background: grew up in Wisconsin, lived there for many years, studied business marketing. Um, and always knew that I wanted to like, own my own gym or be entrepreneurial. And then I had the opportunity in my actually pretty young 20s to be able to run a fitness studio in Milwaukee, Wisconsin called Spire Fitness. Um, and that is where Rachel and my paths crossed. Um, I had been there for a while. It had been one of the most rewarding and one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Really gave me an appreciation for how hard it is to run a successful small business and how much effort and grit and heart and all of the above it takes to do that. And I think it was maybe like two, two and a half years into it. Um, one of the studio managers, she ended up getting a different job that paid better, which is I feel like pretty typical in the studio industry. And I just remember like, I mean, having a full-blown meltdown because I had already been pushed to my edge. I needed the support. um, And losing a studio manager was just like so rough because it's like, I have to train someone again. I have to, you know, I don't have the time, the energy for this. And it just so happens that Rachel had started to come to Spire and I'll, I'll let her tell her part of the story too. But someone, one of the instructors had introduced us and she originally, I think, just wanted a free membership and to work out as like a chill front desk staff person. And when we interviewed, in my mind, I was like, nope, I need a studio manager. And you are a competent, smart human that has good people skills. And at the time, I had no energy for people skills either. <laughs> so I was like, I would like you to be a studio manager. Um, and so that ended up unfolding. We were doing cool things at the studio, planning events, running the business. And um, really, I always say, I think I was like one of Rachel's like patient zeros for life coaching because I was just at such a bad point in my life. Um, so I feel like she was also just half my life coach as I was trying to navigate, you know, doing this business and staying sane and being a 
early 20 something trying to figure out what the hell you, you do with your life, especially when you get to do this big dream thing that you always wanted to do. And you're like, I'm 20, I don't know, 24, 25, probably when we met and I hate my life, but I'm doing what I said I was going to do. <laughs> like, yeah. What do I do now? Um, and eventually we were cleaning bikes one day for an event, um, which is a part of a, a cycling studio process. Anyone who wants to open up a cycling studio, you know, ripping hair out of pedals, wiping them down, you know, all the beautiful, glorious things that people don't think about when they want to open up a fitness studio. And I was just, I looked over at Rachel very probably meekly. I was just like, Hey, you want to start like a blog or something? <laughs> she was like, sure. And five years later, <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So you've been doing the True North Collective for five years now. Yeah, it'll be five years in January, I think. I think so, yeah. Because it was September. It was probably five years ago, actually, almost now that we had that conversation because it was for the Grow Gold event. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that. And I definitely, I want Rachel to share a little bit about her and then I think it it would be really awesome to hear kind of the growth that you have experienced throughout those five years. I mean, I can only imagine the ways that you pivot, the things that you've learned about yourselves, because speaking just like from within the past, like 10 months of doing a podcast, I've learned so much more about my own personal development and the things that I'm capable of. And I feel like when you step out of your comfort zone and you try something new, and even if like, you don't really know what it's going to look like, which I'm sure five years ago, you guys had no clue what it was going to look like. Uh, you find you are so much more capable than you believe in yourself to be when you go after something that is so brand new and so exciting. Um, but Rachel, first, I'll let you share a little bit about yourself and kind of your experience with meeting Janelle and getting brought into the studio and then the creation of True North Collective. Yeah. Um, so I'm Rachel. Nice to meet everybody. Um, so yeah, back. Okay. Um, so when I first started in the professional world, I was in advertising and brand strategy, corporate brand strategy. So, um, right before I met Janelle, I had been living in Vancouver, Canada. And so I was running the brand team for Aviva, which was the young girls brand for Lululemon. Um, it was the wild west. It was amazing. It was like at the time, the pinnacle of the position that I always wanted at a company. I always wanted kind of advocating for young females to be able to be whoever they wanted and, um, you know, having a brand where I could allow their voices to be the expression of that. And it was really cool. Um, I myself was kind of at a, a point where I was trying to, I was kind of following the path that had been laid out for me. So I had kind of taken every next step that, you know, what do you do after college? You get this kind of job. What do you do after that? Then you move up the ladder. What do you do then? You go here. And I was just like, climbing the ladder, like doing the thing. And I was having a conversation with this one young girl who wanted to, um, we're sitting in, in what was called um, design circles and with these young girls where they would basically be like, I need this for this activity. And we designed to it. It was pretty sweet. And we had asked them what they wanted to be or what they were interested in. And she was like, I actually just spent the whole summer um, beating everyone in the neighborhood, including all my brothers at this one video game. Like she beat everyone. She was so good. And we were like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like you're the best, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I really want to, 
I want to make games. I'm, and so we were like, you want to be a coder? And she's like, I don't know. Like, I want to be the one who makes the games. And I want to be the best and blah, blah, blah. And we connected her. And that girl, like, opened something up in me. Because I remember going home that night and looking in the mirror and being like, what's my version of that? Like, what's, what's the thing that gets me that fired up? And it wasn't, it was kind of what I was doing, but it wasn't like my job description, which is like overseeing a brand team eventually. You know, I was on the leadership team and my, my path was really headed towards CMO and it just wasn't what was lighting me up. And so um, I took a, I was doing the ride to conquer cancer. I'm a team cancer survivor. And so we rode from Vancouver to Seattle. I had two days in Gale Force Winds to think about, to be with myself. <laughs> and in that time, I was like, shit, I'm not supposed to be doing this anymore. And I don't know what it is that I'm actually supposed to be doing because I did all the things that everyone told me I was supposed to do. And now I'm at the time, I think I was 32. And I was just like, I, I literally, I, I was kind of like blank. Like I was like, I don't know. And so I quit um, with a lot of support from my team. There was a lot of changes happening at Aviva too. And so it was kind of good timing. And at the time I was dating somebody who lived in Milwaukee and I'd never left a job for a guy before because it was always like, I am here to do this thing and you're either with me or you're not with me. And so I all of a sudden was like, oh shoot, this person might be more important than my job. <laughs> and so I just quit and anything I could fit in my car, I drove to Milwaukee and <laughs> everybody in Vancouver is like, what are you doing? Like you live in Vancouver, you're moving to where is Milwaukee a state? Like they just didn't know anything. So I was just like, it's pretty cool actually. Um, so yeah, at the time I kind of, I didn't have a, any job prospects. I didn't want to go back into the field I was in. Um, and so I was really three months of like, honestly, it was sheer terror. Like I, I, on the outside, everything kind of fell into place, but I was scared shitless. Um, because everything had been laid out for me before. And for the first time in my life, I was saying no, but I don't know what the yes is. So mm -hmm. I'm in this weird limbo and holy fuck. Um, and so it's lots of, I mean, so much anxiety, the guy I was dating, poor guy, <laughs> we were like seven months in and I was like, I'm moving to Milwaukee. And, uh, I, this is probably the scariest moment of my life. Like, love me. Like it was a lot. <laughs> Um, and I knew what I did know was that I love cycling and movement was going to ground me. I didn't have those words back then, but, um, and so like Janelle said, there was a person who I knew from Minneapolis, which is where I spent a long time doing advertising. And she happened to be a studio or a cycling instructor at this one cycling studio in Milwaukee. And I was like, oh my God, that was my favorite cycling studio called the firm. It's amazing. And, um, I, so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So I'm going to at least just get on a bike. And I loved it when I got there, it felt similar, but smaller. Like it was still figuring itself out. The community was really humble and inviting and open. Um, and I did just want free classes. Want to want a front desk person? Like I can do that. I know I can do that. Of all the things I know, I know I can do that. Um, I had a Mohawk at the time. I was just like, really like, um, trying to connect back to who, who I was when I was a kid, which was just a wild ragtag 
like run all over the place, be whoever I want, wear crazy outfits, just like that. And so I was, I was getting back to that. Um, and, and Janelle, it was the most grueling interview I've ever had in my entire life. It was like, I think it was two hours or something. And she was asking me like very specific questions. Like, what would you do if in the Northwest corner of the South cycling studio, water starts dripping down. I was just like, what? Wait, which studio? What direction? I would just like to say that our studio flooded four times in like basically the four years that we were there. So it was an applicable scenario. Uh, I can relate to this so much, literally so much. Just had a, my water heater explode during the class while I was teaching. Water is gushing out as class is going and I might have a, someone come up and say, uh, there's water on the floor back there. I had no clue. And I go back and I go into our storage room and I'm like, Oh, there's a massive hole and water is just flowing out. I had to like text my CEO and I'm like, I'm in the middle of class. I don't know who to call. There's a massive hole in the water heater. It is pouring out what do I do? And he's like trying to call me. And I'm like, no, I'm actually like coaching right now. And he's like, okay, you need to like, tell them to keep going. FaceTime me. We need to turn it off. And I'm pregnant jumping up to try to reach the valve. It was, I relate to everything you're talking about, like exactly to a T. You got to at least know that they can like grab some towels and like do some interim fixing versus like, I'm just going to cry panic and call you. I'm like, nope. Yeah, I need someone that can finish it out. <laughs> it is. It's. It's honestly funny, even thinking about like what I'm about to go do, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. But thinking about, yeah. Anyways, it was very funny. Um, at the time, I was like, "What's happening?" I just want to be a front desker. Um, and then, you know, as as Janelle said, she had other plans, and it did work out. I was. I ended up getting a job at a. Uh, childhood cancer nonprofit, um, part-time. I was their first employee. It was a lot, um, being a teen slash childhood cancer survivor ended up not being the world that felt right for me. But, um, that, that whole cancer exploration from the bike ride to then working at a nonprofit and then also having this studio, there was this period of time where I was really, which kind of aligned with where Spire was going which was how do we create community events, community experiences around things beyond just, um, I'm trying to lose weight. And so um, in Vancouver, I had, had this harebrained idea of like, how would I partner with, which now it's everywhere. So it's probably not going to seem that you know unique, but I was like, how do I, as an individual who's raising money for this race, how do I partner with the local fitness studios, or there was this one influencer, which wasn't called influencer back then, but this one woman who is like doing these really cool um, workouts in different locations around Vancouver. It was called Tight Club. Her name's Katie Gallagher. She's a badass. And, and so I just, these people that I was interacting with, I was like, hey, can we have like a, a class where all the proceeds go towards this race, which is ultimately going towards research. And they were like, yeah, this is awesome. So over the course of a few months, I had these different, um, they were called Mohawk Don't Stop events because um, I had a Mohawk. And um, and then when I came to Milwaukee, I was like, that was such a cool experience to be able to have 
like you look to the right and the left and it was all these people who cared about a similar cause. And, and so, um, when I, I don't think I really like sold it that eloquently to Janelle, but she was game to just like, how do we bring the community and how do we make this about more than just, um, losing weight. And so that's where we kind of, the grow gold event was the first big partnership that we did with Spire, at least that I was involved in, um, that did that. And then that, I think that, that seeing how we worked there and how we brought that together and pulled in different elements and were able to collaborate and create this other conversation, I think is what made the, the idea that Janelle threw out there feel more tangible because it, you know, it wasn't just a blog. Like we were creating something that was, that had a bigger felt sense than just a blog. And it was like, how do we capture what it is that we're doing? How do we give ourselves the freedom to be able to explore whatever this is that this flow that we have around this that doesn't have to necessarily be tied to spire because we did there were other um stakeholders involved so yeah i love that i think what's interesting about both of your stories um that was like coming out to me is like when janelle you were talking about of you know like what do i do with my life and not like loving the life that you were in. And then Rachel to just feel like after that girl shared her story about wanting the opportunity to create video games and stuff and wanting that for yourself, it sounds like you both were at this point in your life where you were trying to find the things that fired you up. And maybe you both felt like the jobs that you were in we're going to be it. And then you were there and you realize, wait, this isn't actually lighting me up in the way that I wanted. And I think so many people can relate to that of where, you know, as Rachel, you were talking about, you follow all the steps that you were supposed to follow and like life just like lays out and you keep going. And I think that is something that so many people can relate to. And it's like, at what point do we like take a pause and look at our lives and do exactly what you both did and say like, wait, this actually isn't fueling me up. This isn't lighting a fire within myself. I can keep going down this path because that's kind of like the expectation or I can make a pivot. And I'm curious for both of you, pivoting is scary. It's hard. There's a lot of fear. What was that pivot like? And I think what I love to hear is how when people choose to make the pivot, yeah, it probably wasn't easy, but what you learned along the way in doing so, because I think there's so much growth in that change. Start, I still feel like I'm pivoting five years later, so I'll start with that. But um, after leaving the studio, because it was, it, it had been my dream to run a fitness studio. And I mean, by the time I was leaving, like I still have, I lost like pigment in my skin like my hair was falling out. Like it was, yeah, it was a lot. Um, so I ended up, I was dating a guy that lived in California, ended up getting a job, not in the city that he lived in California, but in California, um, took like a decent pay cut. It was a pretty easy chill job, which is exactly what I needed just for the space of being able to breathe for a second and like not be responsible for other people. Like I was basically you know, an individual contributor didn't have to do too much. <laughs> like, you know, we got, we got my work done, worked 40 hours a week. It was like a non-exempt hourly job. Um, and that was perfect. Like met 
so many cool friends moved to this new city that was very slow paced. I was in Milwaukee before, which not that Milwaukee is like a super fast paced city, but it's still a larger city. And this was a town of, you know, 40,000 people. Um, and I fucking hated it for a really long time. <laughs> when I made that pivot, I was like, I hate this place. There's nothing to do. It's so slow. Um, and so there's a lot of resistance in that pivot, which, you know, a couple of years later now, I, I keep saying all roads lead back to slower San Luis Obispo, which is that town. Cause I just kind of keep on ending up back there and I'm in a city right now and I kind of hate it too. So it's sort of funny how things have flipped. Um, and then I was like, no, I'm going to go back to this path of trying to, you know, work at these startups. I worked at a tech startup and I hated it. And then I lost my job. And then I, I mean, it was very uncomfortable, but after getting laid off, I traveled around and um, the not having a job was uncomfortable, but the space and time was really nice. Uh, and then I was like, hmm, what do I want to do? And I started freelancing and then another job presented itself. And um, I'm still considering like, you know, what does that look like now? Like, have I taken the right path or have I, have I gone down a path that I don't want to be on again? So I feel like it's easy to be like, you pivoted and then you figured it all out. And I'll say it's been five years and I feel like I'm just ongoing pivoting and every single time it's uncomfortable and it's scary and you start to wonder like why the hell am I resisting my my truth or like what is my truth because I I think sometimes there's these ideas and thoughts in this world that I envision myself being some like boss bitch that's making all this money and running companies and then in reality when I get there I'm like I don't know if I like this maybe I just want to live by myself in a van in the woods. <laughs> and it's probably, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I think I'm like, a, I tend to go to the extremes, but um, yeah, I feel like my, my career path has really just been a series of pivots and trying to trust that like, I'll know when I've had enough and it's time to leave and try not to make that about failing. Cause that's a huge thing for me. It's like, Oh, if I leave after a year and a half, am I just a job jumper? Like you start to get all these stories, right? But it's like, no, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to listen to what makes sense to me. And I learned something here. I got what I needed out of this time. And in theory, like that hopefully was a fair trade for the company too, right? You know, it's not like I just took things from them, like gave them things. So yeah, it's kind of been my journey and, and pivoting and it's still, still happening. Well, I think it's a good reminder though, that you can take a pivot and go one way and try it out and might learn that that actually isn't the way that you want to go to. And it's okay to make a change. But I think that is a really scary thing for people to do. If you know, you're in a job and you're not feeling fulfilled and you leave it to go do something else, but then that actually isn't filling you up either. It's scary to be like, wait, this isn't it for me either. And being willing to be okay to pivot again and not caring what anybody else thinks, because at the end of the day, it's, it's your life. Like if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're not feeling lit up with the things that you're doing, then it, it doesn't matter what other people think because they're not the ones going to that job. They're not the ones doing X, Y, and Z. And I just listened to the Glennon Doyle podcast and she talked about quitting and this idea around quitting is our society like views quitting as like failing, but actually like quitting is something that we do for ourselves and it's taking care of ourselves. It's a form of self-care and we as a society need to reframe that because quitting and failing are not synonymous. 
And I thought that was just such an eye-opening perspective of how we have so much growth to do as a society around the way that we think about how we show up and take care of ourselves. Yeah, I appreciate that because it is, that's like, that's exactly how you feel. And I know for me and people that know me, a lot of people say, well, you'll never be happy in a job. Well, it's like, well, then how do I live my, (laughs) like, that's like, that's not how the society is set up for, right? And even uh, entrepreneurship, I mean, is another form, but like, that is also like a burnout culture too. So I'm just like, well, what, how do I survive and know that I'm maybe not built for the type of structures that are out there? And I guess that's the the quest, right? Maybe that's the journey is to figure out what that looks like, but it's not, it doesn't feel clear and it's very uncomfortable. And it comes with the pushback of, you know, I come from the Midwest, very traditional family where it's like, get a job, have health insurance and, you know, find that security. And then I get it. And I'm just like, I, that's not what I want, but that's Mm -hmm. what I've been taught to want. So it's like a Mm -hmm. ongoing internal battle for yeah, I, I mean, I 100% agree with that. I think at the end of the day, we have to decide, you know, what is important to us. And if it's, you know, I think some people, it makes me sad when people are like, well, nobody really loves their job. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's like your thought. I'd like to find a, a job that I do love and that, that it might not hit every single thing all the time for me, but at the end of the day, I like leave feeling fulfilled and excited. And if you're choosing this mindset around, well, I don't have to love my job. That's okay. Like that's your personal choice, but that doesn't mean that that has to be for everybody. Um, Rachel, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about like your pivot and thoughts around all of this as well. There's so many can of worms in everything y'all just said. I was like, I just need to stay muted because I have so many thoughts. Okay. <clears throat> I, I, in a similar vein to what I think you both are saying, I, I believe life is just one big pivot. So um, I don't, yes, there have been like moments of time in my life where it was obvious pivots to the outside, but I think every day, every second is a p- potential pivot. And um, how it's felt historically has felt devastating. And, um, I was diagnosed with, uh, PTSD earlier this year, which it, it's actually CPTSD. Um, I have several complex traumas that didn't actually present themselves until much later in life, which is, I'm realizing, uh, a normal thing that can happen with trauma. You can either experience the PTSD right away where you can experience it in a few months, or you can actually experience it over 10 years later, which was me. Um, but the re- reality is that I was living in survival mode that entire time. And, and so when these things were happening, it was a very much um, terrifying. I didn't realize that it was actually bringing up the embodied trauma that I had. It wasn't, I wasn't having memories at that point, but it was absolutely terrifying. So much anxiety. I'm pretty sure I was having panic attacks. I just didn't know that that's what was happening. And I was very high functioning. So I knew how to navigate those big emotions and push them away and just basically be like, not now, we're not going to deal with you right now. And when you're young, you can kind of get away with that. (laughs) And, um, I think that shifted those types of pivots, um, Actually, most of my pivots, I would say I actually were (laughs) self-imposed as I'm looking back on it. I was like, 
it's interesting because I chose all of these changes and they did still come with all of the scary stuff, but there was something in me that still knew. I still always knew in those moments, there was like an inner guidance that was telling me this is the step. And so in those moments, if there was a scale um, or a balance thing, um, my, my heart, my intuition did always win out, even though very, very closely, it, it may be like a, a 0.01 percentage difference of tipping the scales. I was also experiencing just like panic and like, I'm going to fuck this all up. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Everybody thinks that I am this like big courageous person and I need to live up to that. Like so much pressure, um, like not sleeping one second. I'd be like, okay, this is exciting. And I'm like doing it and this is going to be great. And then the next second I'd be like, oh my God, if like everyone's going to realize that I'm like a fucking idiot. And like, I'm fucked it all up. And um, hopefully I can swear on this podcast. Um, (laughs) That's what my inner dialogue is like. You literally fucked everything up. Like, what the fuck are you thinking? Um, For the very similar reasons that Janelle said, it's like, we've been given a pretty hardcore manual that we all um, then learned how to memorize and get graded on again and again and again and again and again. So our default program towards, um, you know, the singular job and the the thing that we could probably all each without any, like on our own, if we each wrote down what it is that we think success is supposed to be, it would probably be very, very similar without having talked to anyone. And it's kind of fucked up. Um, and I get it. Like, I understand where that comes from now. Um, you know, the way previous generations were and the way that the world was and things move fast and, you know, we all want to live a fruitful life. And that was a manual that worked for a lot of people for a long time. And um, ultimately, uh, sorry, it's just like, that's what it feels like being in that world for me. It's so like gripping on my chest. Um, And so I think through the course of the last five years and, and longer, I'm 38 now. And, um, you know, I'm a single female who's figuring out her sexuality and what it is that I want to do with my life. I am a life coach and that is absolutely my, my occupation. It is my heart's work, um, and how I want to impact the world. And that's super cool. Um, cause it's the first job I've ever had where I'm like, Oh, I don't need to be the best at this. I am good at this. I'm innately really good at this. This is what I'm here to do. And I have my whole life to continue to hone this craft. And that's so cool. Um, And so I am grateful to be, I didn't know how I was going to get to that place. Um, And what it took was trusting a lot of those pivots and letting my life be a pivot and, um, and getting to a point at 38 where Janelle, when I heard you speaking to, you know, there is no map for somebody who wants to experience all these things. That's what I heard. Um, and what I've, where I've gotten to, cause I feel the same. I'm like, there's really not, uh, you know, a lot, some people look at me as 38 and everybody has their opinion, projected opinions about what that means for them. Um, whether it's fear-based or, you know, wishfully, you know, like, Oh, I wish I could be in that place or whatever. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that on a, on a collective scale, we don't really have a lot of modeling for, um, for what it looks like to, to be 
um, an aging woman who's choosing a path that might not look like the traditional path. And, and so I've kind of started to say, maybe my role is just to do it and to wrestle with my confidence around it and, and find my strength and my footing in there so that I can be a model for a different path. And, and so therefore it doesn't exist and that's okay. And that's going to come with the, the scaries sometimes, but, um, you know, I can, I can be the shoulders that somebody else can, can stand on someday, maybe, or maybe not, (laughs) or maybe I can be the, the, the lifestyle that allows somebody to have their own discernment and say, cool, not for me, I'm going to go this way. Um, and so that's kind of where I've been in my, in my pivots is like, I got to just lean in, um, and, and trust, trust as much as I can and honor the, the, the fear that's going to also be there because I'm a human. Um, and then find the support systems along the way. Cause that's, that's been key in the last year is to find those people who I can really break down with and be like, I am fucking scared that I really fucked up my life this time. Like I really did it this time. <laughs> and they're like, okay, but the previous million times that you did this, you didn't. So, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. So then I can like calm myself back down and then be like, oh yeah. And then remind myself of all the things I just told you. So it's a dance. There there's a handful of things that I want to touch on. The the last one being with the support system. I think it really is important that you have people in your corner and they understand what it is that you're trying to create for yourself. And I loved what you were talking about of being a model and creating this path. And I think just by other women pivoting and doing things out of the ordinary, even if it's not the exact path that I want for myself, it shows that we have the power and the capability to create our own path. It doesn't have to be, you go to a job and you work there for the rest of your lives because the generation above us, most of them work at like what one, two, at most maybe three jobs in their like life, which is crazy to me when I think about that because this is already my second job and I'm 30. So, and I know most people my age are like that where we jump around a little bit more. And I think the more that we as humans can decide like what we want for ourselves and we can go out and create that path, it shows other people like they can do it too. It's just a matter of like that willingness to, as you were talking about, like trusting the pivot and also defining our own success not what society's success is for us. So there was a few questions that I had for both of you of, you know, how do we redefine success for ourselves? Like, how do we get out of what society tells us is success and how do we instead redefine that for ourselves? And then with pivots, how do, how do we learn to trust the pivots? Because fear is something that's going to be there really no matter what, in my opinion. And if, if there's people that have changes and they don't have fear, hit me up, let me know your secret because fear is always lingering for me. Um, but those are two questions that I just would love to hear your, both of your thoughts on, about, you know, how do we redefine success and how do we trust in the pivots? Can I just jump in and say one thing? I, in this quest of figuring out what my, you know, way is or my truth is, it has been been really easy for me to shit on the tradition, what we call the traditional path. And I just, 
it feels important for me to say that it's not a shitty path. It's like for some people that really works and, and it's a really good thing that there are some people that want to, that find a job and stick to it. Like, and so it just, I think it's, um, in an effort of feeling good about where you're headed, I have really been practicing not shitting on the other options just to make my current one feel good because that just perpetuates the same shit cycle that we're in. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I think, and I think that was hopefully like the point that I was trying to get across is like, you get to define like, what is success for you? What does your path look like? Whether it is doing X, Y, and Z, or it's doing something else, kind of like what Janelle was talking about before, like you can choose, like if you want to stay in a job because it might not be fulfilling you up or firing you up, but it financially supports you. And that's your decision to make. Or you can decide, I want to be in a position where I might make less and that's okay. But at the end of the day, I'm really fired up about my job. And so I think it's coming back to like, what is, I don't want to, I guess like maybe it is like what is success to you, but I don't even think that's the right way to say it. Is like it's like what are your buckets that like what's the most important bucket for you and like deciding that because everyone's everyone's viewpoint on that is going to be different. But I think yeah. that, that you're right. Like it's a I'm not saying like don't go out and work at one job, but I think it you're correct. It's good to speak to the point that like figuring out what your own path is and knowing that like you get to decide that for yourself. Totally. Totally. And it was more like me reminding myself, because I think a lot of times I've, I've been able to step into where I'm headed because I have proven to myself, quoting in air quotes, <laughs> that the other thing is just clearly worse. And, mm. and it can be worse for me without being globally worse. Um, mm. And not to say that there aren't global, you know, things to address. <laughs> period. <laughs> um, so what were your questions again? Just so I can read. How, how do we, how do we redefine success? Like how do we decide what success is in our eyes versus society's eyes almost? Um, and then how do you trust the pivots? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start with the pivot because it keep the, this thought keeps coming up. Um, creating the true North collective has actually been something that I think has helped me practice doing pivots differently. So I I was trying to think like, where did it shift in terms of how I've experienced pivots? Cause now I, I can embrace them with it where where I know it's going to come with fear versus before it was like, I was having to like overcome so much fear, but I still did the pivots. Now I feel like the pendulum is a lot more or the balance is a lot more um, the fear is there, but it's not driving the ship. And that's not why I'm making the pivot. Um, and I, like I said, I think the true being a part of the true North collective and that space that we have created has been as business creators, as, as partners, um, one of like, we just try shit. It's like, someone will come up with an idea or, Hey, I had this kind of thing. Should we do it? Fuck it. Let's just do it. Um, and so it was this space where on a really small scale that wasn't super like life or death, I was able to practice doing these pivots, just like, okay, let's just change gears. Like what we were, it was a blog for a while. And then 
we were having conversations with people and Janelle's like, should, should it be a podcast? And we were like, God, everyone's doing podcasts. Like, should we? And now everyone's really doing podcasts. But at the time <laughs> it was like, sure, fuck it. Let's just do it. And so I think how I've learned to trust the pivots is by practicing really small pivots or having spaces where it's safe to pivot and, and, and just to start to experience a pivot being um, empowering and, and then really being in like being embodied enough to really feel like, oh, that felt good. This can feel good. And then slowly, I think over the course of, you know, five years, that one little space has expanded much, much further. And it's a space to also explore it. I think for me, I'm an audible um, or a verbal processor. And so being able to talk through the experience as it's happening has allowed me to acknowledge like, Hey, I feel this fear, but I, I think I have 1% more of trust. And so I'm going to do it. And, and before I had that space to talk through stuff, it was all in my head and then it would get jumbled and it was moving so fast. So for me, it's like these smaller, these spaces where I could practice on a really small scale, what it felt like to, to make a pivot, not from a place of fear, but still acknowledge the fear. Um, do you want, Janelle, do you want to add, I started with the second question. Oh, and now I can bring some, uh, contrast. I feel like I pivot when I'm so freaking angry and my body's giving out on me. And then I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? You're being the person that you don't want to be. And then I pivot. So I'm like the complete opposite. I haven't figured out the graceful part. Like I'm sure there's places in my life that I do have like smaller graceful pivots. But I, when I think of all my big pivots, it'll be, I held on for so long that my body will physically be like having symptoms, which again, I would love to learn this lesson quicker, which I'll try to work on it where I'm like lightheaded or my tint in my skin is, you know, falling out or whatever. Um, or I'm just like, my last pivot was like on the verge of basically, it wasn't verge. I was like depressed. Like <laughs> I'll just end up hitting this, basically this physical symptom because I've been so out of alignment and I think it comes up quicker now, or maybe I just notice it quicker. Um, so that's helpful, but definitely embodiment has been a huge one for me now that I'm paying attention. I'll be like, oh, my jaw is tight all the time. Or why do I feel like I'm going to pass out half the time or I'm not breathing. And it's just like my, my body like feels that I'm getting trapped in these scenarios that I don't want to be in. My mind will try to talk myself out of it, but so for when me, you, my pivots are less graceful. When you made the move to California right it was to California and initially it sounded like there was like a little bit of like hesitancy in that move and over time it sounds like that had that place holds a special like spot in your heart and so I think that it's interesting when you were talking about that because sometimes when we make big life changes and even though we're like uncertain we make the change and we expect it to just be like this like aha but it sounds like that wasn't exactly what you experienced. It was more like this over time having patience. And so with that change, you know, when did you start to realize like, oh, wait, like, because maybe it's not from, and you can tell me if I'm interpreting it wrong, but it sounds like initially when you made that move, it didn't seem like it was what you had expected it to be. And then eventually it actually became something more for you. And 
you know, how did you work through that and how did you start to like feel that shift in yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first moved one, I was, you know, Midwestern family, so scared to tell them I'm leaving. Like that was a huge part of my resistance. And I remember when I first got out of college, I was applying for jobs out of state and I never got one, but I almost like needed an excuse to like, I was like, well, mom, I'm going to get married. So, um, I have this boyfriend on the West coast. So like, you know, you might lose me in the state of Wisconsin, but I'll be, uh, on the track to get married, you know? So there was, there was that side of it. There was a lot of resistance there, but from, um, I don't know, an energetic logistical standpoint. I mean, I ended up making that decision in like three or four weeks. I mean, I flipped my life upside down. I had the job at the studio still. I knew I wanted to leave. So there was buildup, um, but went through the hiring process pretty quickly. They offered me the job. They're like, you have to start in three weeks or we'll give it to someone else. It was not very nice. <laughs> and so I ended up like, I owned a condo in Wisconsin. I sold it. I bought a condo in California like within a two week period. And then I left all my stuff basically unpacked in my condo in Wisconsin. I just paid someone to pack it up and ship it across country. I lived in a motel six slash eventually my company was like, Oh, we were supposed to pay for that. Um, so I got like a little nicer hotel for a month. And then, um, yeah. And then at first I think like when you're in a new place, it's just like, Oh, cool. Like this is fun. This is new. And then I started to settle into it. And I was like, this place I have no friends. It's really hard to meet people. People are kind of like, they have their groups. And I mean, I started, I'm pretty sure I used the words. I hated it. <laughs> I'm sure I said that. I'm like, I can be a little dramatic like that. And, but that's kind of how I felt. It was just like, this place is boring. It's slow. It was just such a contrast to what I was used to. And when I sort of, honestly, it was like closer to the time when I was ready to leave. <laughs> Like, I was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to be here for two years. Like, I'm going to get ready to leave. And I started to actually enjoy it. But I had changed so much over that time because before I, I was, it was like, I was really tapped into fitness communities. I was fast moving. Um, like I was chasing all these things. I wanted success. And everyone around me was like, oh, we live by the beach. It's cool. Like we have our people. It was just, you know, it was so different. And so when I kind of just let I don't know if it was very conscious, but I eventually just sort of like leaned into that and it's like, okay, well, maybe I will just go to the beach every day or I'll hike or I'll go stargaze or like all these things that now sound very lovely. And I spend most of my time doing, but before it was like, I don't even know what I was trying to get. Like it was something else, you know, somewhere, something else. Um, and when I started to do all those things, I was like, wait, this place is pretty cool. And then I left and I went on a seven month, eight month road trip um, and I saw a lot of really, really cool places, but it was also like, man, all the roads, like the people, the community, the things that I value. And I started to get clarity on what I valued. Um, they're connected back to this town. And then I came back for a couple more months and really started to like build up that community again. Uh, and then I left again because now I'm in Portland, but I, I think as I've just started to like accept it and realize that that is a really special place. And sometimes for me, I think it takes like experiencing other things and just like comparing the two and being like, nope, this is still better. Move to the next place. Nope, this is still better. Move on to the next place. And now it's just kind of laughable because I'm like, there's really no place like that. And I, I mean, I haven't planted roots in any other community like that since Milwaukee either. 
um, which I think is a huge thing for me, which is probably also why I felt a lot of resistance when I first moved there because I didn't have that community and that takes time, right? It takes time to find your people and to be connected in a space. Um, so I think there's like multiple facets of that of one, things take time and I'm not a very patient person. <laughs> and two, um, just even being able to compare and realize like how I've lived in basically Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and San Luis Obispo, California. And while those are, this Wisconsin and the California are very different. Like, I don't know, I think I always was just like, the grass is gonna be greener. You know, there's gotta be somewhere. Uh, and I'm slowly learning that that's probably not true. <laughs> when you like experienced kind of that inner pushback of not wanting to embrace this new, culture and this new lifestyle, I feel like it kind of almost ties back into this idea of success and of what that looks like in coming from the Midwest and going to California and with you then learning like, okay, I'm going to lean into this a little bit. I think that is a little bit of you redefining your own version of what success and happiness looks like, I think. And so I think it kind of ties into that question of, you know, how did you decide like what success looks like for me and being okay with it looking different than someone else's success? Yeah, I think I still process that every day. So like very much a work in progress on this. I still have old ties to like title, salary. Actually, I heard on a podcast the other day and I thought it was really interesting that people get addicted to salaries. It's like an actual addiction for people. Um, and I was like, fuck, I think I have an addiction because anytime I start to like build something and I don't have a salary, it's like, you're failing. This isn't it. It's not safe. Um, so I think that's still all there. And then I think what has helped me a little bit is doing like core values type exercises, which there's like a ton of different terms for that, but having my like five words that I come back to. And actually every single day at the end of the day, I have an app that I'll use and I'll just like, did I live into these? And if not that every day is going to be all five, but if I'm finding a trend over time, then it's like, oh, I'm not living into these. Um, that has sort of become more of a level of success because I could look at many times in my life where I have a salary, I have a title, I'm making the money and I'm not living into those values and I'm not happy. Um, and not that you have to be happy all the time, but I like, I, I feel like I'm, I don't know, not being the person that I want to be, if that makes mm. more sense. And like, so that has also been a check-in of success, I think too, of like, do I have the capacity, the energy, the, the space, the, to be the person that I want to be? And I think <clears throat> the answer is like, you always do, right? Like in some ways you're in control of that, but I think when we get into the wellness space, a lot of times it's like, well, you're in control of it, but like your environment affects you. Like fuck anyone who says it doesn't like, you know, like the people around you, the environment, the choices you make, like I, I, I don't, I mean, again, maybe someone else has figured it out, but I don't have the mind to just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to change my perspective on this. It's like, no, because I think that's not honoring to who I am, the things that matter to me and how I feel. Um, so I'm just trying, like, I'm still really trying to navigate it. I'm sure you can tell from this conversation. I'm like in a big internal battle right now as we record this. <laughs> so success to me, um, in redefining it, it's still like one foot's in the old door, old window. I don't know the old threshold and one is in the new. 
And I feel like I'm constantly just teetering back and forth, trying to figure out like, am I going to fall back into the old or am I going to embrace the new and the new way sometimes Honestly, you know, it is fulfilling like that. When I was unemployed and living my best life, I was like, I would like cry every morning, but because I was so happy, I was like, I'm living the life I want to live. I just don't know how to pay for it. <laughs> That's what I would say. And like the only stress that I had was that I didn't know how to pay my bills. So um, that's always interesting. But, and now, you know, it's like, oh, so you go back into a different, different space in a different way. And it's like, I can pay my bills, but now I'm not waking up with this like sense of gratitude every day. Mm-hmm. which again some ownership is on me there and I think some ownership is like on me based off of the choices I've been making I think it is and it, it's a constant inner battle and I thought what was really beautiful about what you said was success is like being the person that you want to be and I think that's a really powerful statement to be able to hold on to of you know, am I showing up in this life as the person that I want to be and the person that I want to be remembered as? And if you can come back to that mindset, I think it's really a powerful guide for life. Yeah. I'll actually credit Rachel a little bit here because you had asked me that at some point, I think we were probably having a difficult conversation and you're like, well, who do you want to be here? And like, I will often hear Rachel's voice in situations when I feel like overwhelmed because I'm looking for the right answer outside of myself. I'm like, who does this person want me to be? Who did I, like, what's the right choice? And then I'll be like, there's Rachel's voice. And it's like, who do you want to be here? I'm like, oh, who do I want to be here? And that is, that like instantly calms me down. Mm, I love that. Rachel, I'd love to hear kind of your, you know, thoughts take and ideas around success and what that looks like for you. Yeah, I I love everything that Janelle said. I definitely can, in my own way, um, would pair it a lot. Um, and I think it's been a really dynamic um, experience for me, defining success. Um, and in any given moment, um, I think there's a lot of different ways that I can look at a situation to help myself kind of triangulate whether it's a successful, whether a thing is successful or not for me. I I think values work has been huge. Um, Embodiment work has been huge. Um, I almost, you know, in the last year, a lot of my a lot of my approach to whether something feels successful or not has just been if you take the Maslow's hierarchy, it's like, I'm literally just trying to see if I can be in a state of um, groundedness and safety. And so it's kind of, that is probably the most predominant indicator of success for me right now is if I am in a state of survival and which is a trauma response, or if I am grounded and, um, that is like the foundation for me because when I'm actually in a state of safety and groundedness within me, now I can actually think clearly and I can be like, okay, I'm not trying to, I'm not operating from a place of running from the beast or fighting for my life. Um, I'm here and I'm aware of this present moment and I, I'm in this environment and this is how I'm feeling here and I'm just aware of what's there. And then I can kind of layer in these other pieces that I think are huge. Like 
okay, how do my values fit in here? Are, are my values present? Um, do am I responsible for for amplifying some of these values? Like, so I'm I'm about to go on this road trip. Um, in my RV, which has been like an over a decade long dream that I had that's coming to fruition. And there's so much that comes with, with the realizing of something that I had put on a pedestal that is actually just another experience that I get to have. And um, as I was, there was kind of a, a point in the process is, it, is it's, I saved up a ton of money to be able to buy this rig. I bought the rig with an X and then I broke up with him. And so I was fully financially responsible for this rig, which my budget was not prepared for that um, reality. And I, um, in the RV industry, it's a well-known thing that if you buy a, a, a new one, the first year is just, you're basically fixing it because they're not made all that well, even the best brands you could get. Um, and so a lot of times people will get used ones that somebody has really taken care of and um, it won't come with the warranty, but the things will be fixed up. So luckily I had the foresight to get the warranty. So I haven't had to pay for things, but I had to wait a really long time in order to get into service and get parts, especially with COVID, everything was delayed. You can only get five things fixed at a time. Like it's been a journey. And I got to a certain point um, a few months ago where I was kind of at this crossroads where I was like, I am bleeding money. and I have to make a choice. Um, I have to decide. Sorry, I'm going to start crying. I have to decide if I'm going to realize this dream now or if it's going to have to wait and I'm going to have to do it down the road and see if it's something that's still meant for me. And I was sitting there trying to make the choice of like, do I put more of my savings into this so that I can experience this thing? Or do I cut my losses? And both choices required me to look at my ego. Both choices required me to ask like, what will, so I remember I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a friend and I'm like, okay, how do I make this call? Like, how do I decide? This is like 10 years in the making. It's right there. I can taste it but I feel like I maybe just need to like be respons fiscally responsible and, and, and my ego is going to take the blow, but whatever. So I'm sitting there and I'm like comparing the two, like, do I, which is going to be the one that gives me the most growth, both, which is the one that's going to allow me to overcome ego stories, both, which is the one that's going to be the most courageous thing I can do both. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, <laughs> either path literally can check all of the boxes and then, so then I was like, okay, which one feels like then I'm the safest either I, literally for different reasons. And then I went to my values. Okay. Of my values, which ones are checked here? And they each checked different ones. But then I realized I actually can make either scenario live into these values. So then again, I was kind of left with like, okay, well, what do I go with then? <laughs> because literally I can check both can check. And, um, so the cool thing about that experience was one, I was able to recognize that I can bring my values to life within any given moment and acknowledge when by default they aren't there. And, and do I need to change something, you know, do I need to change environments or whatever? And, um, 
And I had to kind of, I honestly meditated. I went into nature and I asked myself the question every day and without it being like a forceful ask, I would just say, what's the path that would lead to my highest good? What's, what's the right next step for me? And some days I would not get an answer and I'd be really fucking frustrated. And then over the course of, you know, let's say the month, I, it wasn't like a clear number of days, but I started getting more of the same inklings. It wasn't even like a clarity at first, but it was just like, there's even this body thing that you can do that I learned at my trauma treatment. Um, I went to a trauma treatment this summer, just got to throw that out there. Um, but, but I did, it was really important. And, um, we learned this, this um, method of kind of getting grounded in your body, standing up and wiggling your toes, tapping your legs, shaking out, rolling your neck so that you're really stable on your four points of your feet. And then you ask yourself a question and you notice if your body, le- your body will lean forward if it's a yes, and it'll lean back if it's a no. And so I started doing stuff like that. Um, and again, I kind of plotted it over like a course of time. And, you know, more often I got a yes towards going in the rig. And so that is what I'm doing. And I'm taking all of the stuff that would have come with any, either decision and I'm, I'm processing it as I go. So that was a very long-winded answer for what does success look like? It's a moment to moment, like shift of, of um, what my current, you know, what I'm currently working on is, and, and it is very much rooted in, in the, the nervous system at this point for me. Mm. Okay. Well, first off, I'm super excited for you that you are going on this road trip. I think it, I can't wait to follow along. I'm hoping that you'll share your journey with all of us because it's, it's going to be amazing. And I think it was really cool to get to hear the process that you went through of making that decision for yourself. And one thing that you both reflected on was values and creating values for yourself, which I think a lot of people can say, well, my company has values, but it's just as important that we set values for ourselves. And I, you know, what is your process in setting your values? That one has been a long journey. (laughs) I think there's a lot of different exercises that are out there that you can do. I know the first time I was ever introduced to it, it was through Lululemon. They used to do four values and we did it at the studio. Um, I think a lot of people in the wellness space have experienced that. As I've continued on this journey, I don't know if I used them a ton, but I had them. Um, We actually did a part of the Trainer Collective, like, or it wasn't really, I guess, part of the Trainer Collective, but it was like around the time that we started Desire Mapping by Danielle something, I forget her last name. something like that um and that was really cool because that had a lot of just like prompts and space and the time to journal and ask questions and and come up with things so I remember having that list and then recently I started to do membership around like manifestation and um like it's kind of like meditation slash hypnosis I guess I don't know it's sort of like a weird hybrid in between and they have this authentic code exercise where you actually you know, basically meditate on the things that matter to you. And so that collection of all of these things got me to my five that I have today, but then they even change, right? So there's 
one of them for me, like I had vulnerability as a part of my core values. And I realized that that was a cop-out for that. I actually just wanted to be seen. Um, so this is something I always wrestle with, like being the performer and wanting to be in the spotlight and then having a lot of shame around it. It's like an easier pill to swallow was to be like, oh, we'll be vulnerable because being vulnerable is like, you know, you are seeing yourself. But I was like, no, I actually want to be fucking seen. Like, I want to be out there being seen. Um, and so like that had changed over for me as like I started to work and process through some things or I think one was like for me creativity and that sort of evolved into like creation because I think creativity for me and how I define it it's like oh it's doing this it's writing it's art it's whatever and I don't know if that's actually how creativity always shows up for me I've realized that I am a creator in the sense that I can go into businesses and build structures and flows and processes and that's not what people traditionally think of a creative as um, but that's actually creation or being a creator to me um, so there's just like a, a few, but it's definitely just been a lot of like reflection or I'll be on a hike and I'll just kind of check in or having that daily check-in at the end of the day of like, am I living into these? And do I want to live into these anymore? Cause I have a feeling some of them might fall off or they might be added. So for example, as I've gotten into this next stage of my life and I'm uncomfortable and I'm wrestling and I'm annoyed, I'm like, oh, should one of my core values actually be simplicity? Like one of the things I loved about my road trip, the first like part one of the road trip, I guess, was that it was super simple. It's like, I would wake up, I would do like a little work, things that I was passionate about. And most of what my time and energy was focused on was like, how are you going to feed yourself today? Where are you going to sleep? What do you want to do? And that simplicity was so fucking refreshing compared to, I mean, today where it's like, you don't remember to feed yourself. You hardly sleep. Your mind is all consumed with all of these problems and things. And, you know, that aren't even like, do you even care about those things? You know? So anyway, that's another hole that I could go down, but I'm starting to ask like, should simplicity be a part of my values? And I don't know. Yeah. Like what gets bumped out if that's the case or does something need to get bumped out? Um, so I think it's just like really this ongoing process of just checking in and and seeing where are you experiencing friction? Where are you experiencing happiness, joy? I don't know, like calmness even. Sometimes it's not even happiness. It's just like a, a exhale, sort of like Rachel did before that tells me that that's important to me. And then just letting it evolve as I evolve. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I also, the first time I ever did values work was with Lululemon. Um, and it was really robotic. <laughs> um, not their process, just me. I was super robotic with it. Um, and then I think it's just been my, it's been a relationship building with my values and they do change over time. Sometimes I just get sick of words or sometimes like Janelle, it's like, I realized that I was more comfortable with this word, but actually it was masking the real value underneath it. Um, and so I, I have noticed that I'll try to like do a values check-in like once a year. It's not like a real systematic thing. It's kind of organic where I'll be like, oh, how do my values fit in here? And then I'll like look at where I usually they're written down somewhere. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, these still fit or like, ooh, uh, they're different or whatever. Um, most recently I 
as a coach, um, I, it's really important to still be coached and, um, make sure that I'm in my work. And so I, um, did a, an exercise with a coach where she, we took my values and then we actually went deeper with them where we like, you know, so I, I'm going to butcher this, but it would be like, I had nature and she was like, okay, well, what does that actually mean to you? Cause sometimes values can become these like esoteric or like rhetoric words that you're like, what the heck does that actually mean? Like nature? Cool. Yeah. I'll, I, we can all agree that nature is like, yes, but what does that actually mean to you? And so we did this cool thing where she like, really, we dug into it and like, what does, what does it actually mean to me? And where I got to with it was reverence or for other people, they can even, the invitation was like, you could have um, a value that's like yellow P, you know, that was, I, I meant like PEA, not PEE. And now we're there. Um, but like, whatever, it could be literally anything. Like, what is it? How do you make it yours? So that it's not just this like big thing that it could literally, we could all say yes to, but nobody's really saying anything. And so that was a really cool experience. Um, and, um, yeah, but it feels like it's a working relationship with, with them. And I have five too. I don't know if that's maybe because Lululemon planted that seed, but it feels like a good number that can like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if I have at least three, then it's like, okay, we're good. You know? Um, but yeah. Um, like, yeah, I was just gonna say I've heard like four or five because I know I've done this exercise with well I haven't done it but like I've encouraged people to do it their own way and they'll come with like 15 things and I'm like how are you gonna remember all that <laughs> like what actually matters to you in there because and a lot of them probably have overlap so that's what I found too when people have like this really long list it's like well what how do you condense it down like those two words are kind of the same that's kind of the same what's like the one thing that comes together but anyway I digress yeah and what's been helpful for me in that, cause it can be really overwhelming when you have like, but these all sound so good. Um, cause I've led some value stuff too. And what I, how I like to approach it is like in the moment, do the one that like first hits, like it's this one. And then instead of going back to your head and overthinking it, let yourself sit with that for like two weeks of like, okay, I'm going to have exhale be my, my value, which is one of mine. I'm going to let, I'm going to live with the value of exhale for the next two weeks and see if it does anything for me. And if it doesn't, then I can like, you know, continue to build my relationship with the essence of whatever that is. Um, and if it does cool, I'll, I'll keep it for a little while. So yeah, but that like allowing yourself to just to have like that trust at the beginning and then live into it has been helpful for me. I think the evolution is key. I can give another example because I like examples when people talk about this kind of stuff. But like one for me was movement. And I was just like moving my body. Um, but I slowly realized that like movement in itself was close, but it wasn't quite it. Cause sometimes it's like, well, am I just like forcing myself to move my body? Or am I actually enjoying it? Or is movement like this forward growth that I feel like I need to chase? And so I turn it into play. Like if I feel like I'm playing and I'm able to like. I don't know, most play involves moving your body anyway. Um, but there's like a different energy behind it of just like, I'm doing it because it's fun. I'm moving my body because it feels good. Cause it's like what, I don't know, kids don't just like decide to play and do something they hate normally, right? Like it's like this, I don't know. It's like this inspired action of like, I'm just going to go play and do what seems fun in the moment. 
Um, so I think like you just start to Rachel's point, like you pick something and then you let it evolve and you kind of check in. Cause I had movement for a long time and I'm like, this isn't quite like I was checking the box again. And I'm like, I'm a very data person. So I'd be like, you know, pushing the button on my app of like, I moved today, but then I'm like, did it actually fill me up? And I'm like, well, I like forced myself to go let, you know, like go on a run or something. And it was like, I don't really like it. Like I just went for a run, but I moved. So then I was like, well, that's not, that's not it. Um, versus like, oh, I went paddleboarding and I got to like play out on the ocean and that felt fun. And so from a fitness mindset, I know that's something I've actively worked on, even just like in my own like movement versus playing. Where is it fun? Where does it actually feel good versus like, I have to go do this thing or I said I was going to move today. I, I love this conversation around values because it's such it is a really important thing, I think, for people to establish their own values within their life. Uh, we use them as a guide at everything that we do at my job. And I've had the opportunity in a few different, you know, one-on-one coaching that I'm done and group coaching to set values. And if you're someone that's listening and you've never set values for yourself, hopefully you're getting something out of this conversation and realizing how much they can benefit you. And I think too, it does a lot of like introspection. Like we are forced to look within ourselves a little bit more of like, I loved that example of like movement, but what am I, what am I looking for in that movement or nature? What am I, what am I looking for? What do I love that nature provides me? What is it actually like bringing to me? Like I hear nature. And for me, I, when I think about what I love about nature is like this, like And I like the word essence that you said, but like, for me, it's like this, like peacefulness and groundedness, but for someone else, they might hear nature and it might be adventure and growth. And, you know, that, that I think it's important. Like you have to get down to like that root of like, what are you looking for from the word that you've written down and challenge yourself. And I think you'll learn. I mean, I, I don't think I know from my own experiences, I've learned so much about myself and like, it's cool to then be like, these are my values. This is what's important to me right now in this time period. And as you both have alluded to, it's also, there's an evolution and they can change just as we change and we grow. Yeah. There's an intent to how you live your life that I had not really been modeled before. Again, the modeling was like, get a job, make money, find security. And when I realized that wasn't working for me, those core values are more the the path that I want to be on. And, and it's like, a, it's a good check-in, like to your point, Alex, it's just like, it's a nice, like, yes or no, did I do it? Am I on, on track? Is there something I need to change? Versus I've always before was basically on autopilot. It's just like doing the thing. And now it's like, are you doing like what do you actually want to be doing here with both of you discussing your values and both kind of in changes within your life right now were your values something that drove you to make these bigger changes I know Rachel you kind of already talked about your values came up for you within falling back I'm like okay is this road trip, like the thing that I should be doing next. And then Janelle with you now being in Portland, I think, how did the values show up for you and how did those changes really come about? Yeah, for me, I think the values are 
more so playing a role in the intention for how I want to experience the thing. Um, so they're kind of um, a jumping off point and a reminder that no matter what happens, I want to be creating that experience for me from that play, from that anchoring point. That's how they are right now. Yeah, I, I try to use my value sometimes as a checkpoint when I make a big decision, but I think in the moment, it's easier for me to be like, is this a hell yes or a hell no? And, but, and honestly, sometimes it's a hell yes. And it's like that a month later, I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, this wasn't what I wanted it to be. <laughs> like, I think my core values like help me realize that after I'm like in the experience of it. Um, but I don't know if I'm always utilizing them as like a, a pivot point when I'm choosing to pivot. That's more of like a yes, no versus uh, like, oh, does this check all the boxes? Um, and then I let myself have that experience. And then, because that's like the only way I learn basically. <laughs> I think a lot of people are like that. And then it's like checking in day to day of like, is, is this trending in the right direction? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be every single core value. Um, and that's where that quitting piece comes in handy. Cause I feel like I, I experience and I learn and then I'm like, oh shoot, this wasn't it. Do I have the courage to quit now? So before we like round up or tie up or close out the discussion uh the last thing that I want to ask and this is one of my favorite questions and I want each of you to answer it is what is the ripple that you want to create and it can be any it can literally be anything you got yours right yeah but you can go I feel like this is something I ponder all the time now as I keep ending up in spaces and I'm like, hmm, like what is, I don't know, like I hear Rachel talk about life coaching or other people talk about being a doctor or whatever it is. And I'm like, fuck, like what's my thing? And I think sometimes it's, it's hard to see your thing in you because it's just so innate and effortless that like you don't realize that it's there um, or like it doesn't. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, well, that can't be my thing. Like, that's stupid. I don't know. And even though it's like a part of who I am, but today when I keep reflecting and leaning and like, what, why the hell am I even here? You know, like, what is the point of me being here? What am I trying to do? Um, I come back to helping support people like live out their dreams. Cause I think like the courageous step of whatever that is, how do you give those people the support that they need to be able to do that? And then I get pissed off about it because I want to be in the spotlight. So I'm wrestling with that too. <laughs> like, how do I not just play a supporting role? That's why I'm like, is this stupid? Am I just a curator of other people's dreams and that's my dream? Um, so anyway, I, I have a lot of internal struggles around it, but that's that today, that's where I've been landing as I ponder it and then I get mad about it. So we'll see where it goes. Um, the ripple that I want to create is to live in a way that, um, gives other people permission to live their truth. Like I want to live in my truth in such a way that other people take their mic, like, um, and so that requires me to take my own mic, um, but not 
but also be aware of other people. Um, I've done like purpose work a few times, which is some grueling stuff. And I always land in authentic coexistence is like the thing, the, the bigger picture. Like I want to be able to live in a world where each person can be themselves and coexist as themselves. And that coexistence piece feels really, really important because otherwise we're all just kind of on our own little islands. Um, so yeah, that that's my answer today. Thank you. I love both of the answers. And what I think is my favorite thing about getting to ask that question is there's so many different ways you can interpret it and decide, you know, how it resonates with you. There's just one last thing that I want to say is you were talking, Rachel, is have you ever read the book, uh, Braving Wilderness by Brene Brown? Yes. yes. <laughs> that's what I, that's like what I was thinking about as you were speaking is just this idea of braving the wilderness and coming back to true belonging. It's not about trying to belong. It's about belonging to ourselves and like showing up as ourselves and knowing that we can speak our truth and also listen and be willing to learn from other people and knowing that our differences are okay and not trying to get people to believe the same things that we believe. And that's what true belonging is. And as you were talking, like, that's what was coming up for me. It was just like that true idea of belonging and braving the wilderness. And I just, I just read that book this summer and it was like the most eye-opening and amazing book ever. And for you, Janelle, I think I love this idea of like figuring out how you're going to support people. But also I think like you have this opportunity, like as you're supporting people and you're creating that ripple and you're helping them to like go out and like create their life, you're going to be able to like on the flip side, learn so much about yourself and your capabilities that I think it's going to be this like really beautiful reciprocal thing. Um, But it is also going to always be this like life balance. But I think as we've discussed this whole episode, life truly is just about this. Like, I love that idea of like the scale. It's just always going to be going back and forth. And we're, we're kind of working to find like that balance, but I think it's always kind of teetotaling back and forth. Is that the word that you would say teetotaling or toddling back and forth? Like you're on the, what are those? Teeter, teeter totter. Yeah. Teeter totter, teeter totting back and forth. Um, Lastly, where can the listeners find your podcast and then both of you? Yeah, so we're the podcast is at the True North Collective underscore and the True North Collective dot org. And that's where our episodes, events, um, workshops, content live. And then my Instagram is at Janelle Reese. So J A Y N E L Reese spelled like Reese Witherspoon. I can let Rachel drop her handle. Yeah, you can find me at. Um, on Instagram is where I'm most um, active socially uh, at rachel.bellotti. So R-A-C-H-E-L dot B-E-L-L-O-T-T-I. Um, and then I, the life coaching that I do is Unstuck. Um, so that's at unstuck-unstuck.com. So I do one-on-one group, a whole bunch of stuff. So you can check it out there. Awesome. And I will link all of this in the show notes to make sure that you get connected with them. And until the next episode, let's go out and start creating ripples.